Hey, Anna, have you seen that Hubble telescope deep field galaxy picture? The picture, it's like lots of black space, but lots of little dots. And each one of those dots is a galaxy like the Milky Way. Thousands and thousands of galaxies in one picture. Have you seen it? And how does it make you feel? Uh, yes, and not great. Mm-hmm. It's creepy. Yes. Uh, uh, elaborate, please. Um, I don't like how big it is. <laughs> I don't like feeling like you could just go forever and never reach the end. I don't like feeling so teensy tiny. I don't like I don't like any of it. I don't like anything about it. It can be pretty sometimes when you look at like space pictures, but that kind of picture no thank you. Your reaction is not uh, unusual. There's a lot of people who have these mixed feelings about these uh, astronomical pictures yeah. showing these, you know, you know, thousands of galaxies each with billions of stars in it. And I can't even comprehend that many. No, and there's no humans in that picture. There's no uh, you in that picture. There's no dog there's nothing, in that no picture. Dog. There's no Earth. And it does make you feel teeny tiny. The vastness of space, it's astronomical. Uh, so you're in the, that, you don't, you know, likey. No, category. I don't like it at all. I watched that movie Gravity mm-hmm. where the George Clooney, like, I don't, no spoilers. It's been out for like 10 years. I think so. He like flips forever into space. Like that is like, I mean, I had like, I had like a lump. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. It's like, I, I can't imagine that you, there's no, you don't fall. I mean, you fall, but you go for, I, I can't, I don't understand it. I don't, I I'm not smart enough. Yeah, there's definitely Clearly. a scary element to the space, and it's the the size of it. it's hard for us to wrap our brains around. And uh, and like what's out there? Yes, most definitely. Uh, I'm I'm less scared. What do you I'm, think? I'm more like that's sweet, man. Oh, that God. picture is so cool. Of course, you're like that. That is so cool. And because like you know, I, I I like being teeny tiny. I kind of like that. That uh, so that's my perspective. Because I like uh, I like. I like the insignificance of it. I, I kind of. You could be like crushed by the vastness of space. I mean, that doesn't. You're like this is this is fun. Yeah, well, that's out there. I mean, here's fine. On Earth, that is, I should say. Okay, but you're talking about a picture of like vast expanse of nothing, and then you're you're like, I feel great. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I'm down. Give me more of those. This is great. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I know. Well, there there's it's some like other so ones good. that I don't like so much. So we'll, we'll oh, get to those in this very uh, dramatic episode of perspectives. I guess we'll call it that. Yeah. yeah we'll, well, work, we'll work on a better title. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. From the studios of Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regis, and this is Looking Up. And I'm Anna Heeman. Dean and I work at the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory, where I'm the executive director and he's sharing all the knowledge about the stars and planets as our astronomer. We share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year and love doing the same thing through this podcast, where we talk to astronauts and scientists, authors, and other fun folks about topics like astronomy and space science. Today, we're joined by NASA astronaut Jessica Muir. So... Those pictures of, you know, it's like we were just talking with our producer, Josh, about like the vastness of like the ocean and like deep water with no, you don't know what's out there. I have my hands really wide because <laughs> I'm trying to like, but I can't. And and that's how space is to me. And also the idea that you could just like float away from what you do know. Mm. Well, yeah. Why don't you tell me how you feel about it now? Because I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Yeah, the ocean. See, for some reason, the ocean is more terrifying. Even though the 
the, they're very similar. Yeah, well, space is like the ocean times infinity, basically. I mean, that's so like <laughs> that's not helping. So oddly, why, I know, but why? Why is that easier for me to? But you're not scared of the ocean and the depth. Oh, of I'm what? terrified okay. of the ocean. <laughs> you're like, don't don't tell the ocean. I'm not scared of it. I want to come in for me. Let's put. Uh, let's see. Scorpions are number one. Deep water number two. So it's uh, it's uh, it's high up there. So. Another layer of the onion. Scorpions beans number one. <laughs> that's right. Wow. So no uh, no okay. scorpions in the desk, please. It's that's not great. would not be a funny joke <laughs> not at all uh, well maybe not for you anyway <laughs> making mental note um so you're like fine with it though you're like oh well, the space is amazing and i can discover it is that why because you know what it weird. is yeah it's very weird that it's maybe because it's out there more than in here and and i think that's the the whole idea of of astronomy is this it kind of opens up your your worldview and and I don't know what uh, it is a humbling thing. That's there's no doubt about that. Being an astronomer is a humbling venture at all turns. That's for sure. Really? Because oh yeah, because you. I mean, I I I joke about this, but it's mm-hmm. relatively true. Is that we are teeny teeny tiny little creatures living on a. Itty bitty planet uh, going around a average star and a mediocre <laughs> galaxy in a cold dark universe. I mean, it's it's just the facts. And this has been inspirational thoughts with Dean Regis. <laughs> but, You're insignificant, and so is your planet. <laughs> that's right. So we got to embrace that in a, little, in a ways, and it, it, it does like it, it frees us in a, it frees me in a little ways. Yeah. It, it, because it's like, well, you know, the insignificance of it is. It's hard, but it's it's still I don't know what it is. It's very freeing for me, and so uh, yeah, okay. for space, I don't have a big problem with that. Uh, that people do ask me, that doesn't space like scare you? I'm like, well, no, it's up there. So I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's above us. It's even worse. Yeah, we got the ocean below. We got like the sky, like the the just. Oh, man, I, I do like watching those videos of, like, weather balloons and stuff. And then, oh. like, when people, like, come around, you know, it's like, <gasps> oh, my gosh, can you even imagine going that, like, being that high up? Yeah. And then and then it's not even like you're high up. You're just out in the middle of, no, like, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're like, I know it's amazing. I love it so much. No, but it's I, I think it's, you know, this, this whole idea of this, this changing of our perspectives. I mean, we've all been, you know, we used to think the earth is an unmoving center of the universe. And, you know, we've got that out of our system. We got the sun not being the center of things. We're not even the center of the galaxy. Our galaxy is not even that, you know, special in the scheme of things. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, but the, I think out of all the perspectives that we've gotten, like the whole deep field image is is, is very moving. Uh, yeah. But I think it's that 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 image of the Earth, you know, the image of the Earth taken from from the moon that, you know, showing our entire planet in the blackness of space. I think that like I think that's pretty. I think that's like affected our whole like consciousness of almost everybody on Earth. Anybody that sees that picture, it's hard to come away from that, like not yeah. kind of. You know, I don't. You know, we're all on that little blue marble, and that's that's everybody you know and all your stuff right there. I mean, it's like, it's uh, <laughs> and it's, all your stuff. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to like, you know, like how that can't. I think that's like the 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 photo of the 20th century, and even still carries oh, in today. Yeah. I think. I think it really affects because everybody on the w- world is in it except for like three yeah. people or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to be uh, talking to an astronaut here, and you know, getting that perspective of going in space. I'm I'm curious about that as to you know, how, you know, how that changes you, or 
do we need to do we need to all go into space to have some <laughs> moment like this? Uh, well, I <laughs> I think some people live like I don't want to say the unexamined life. I'm not saying that they're like, and there's nothing wrong with this, but like I think they've never even thought about it, and that I do not understand. I'm like, how have you? I, I remember. I mean, I you, yeah, like, I think about it all <laughs> kind of a lot. Like, but the picture of Earth doesn't upset me, right? Because it's a comforting. Because yes. it's like that's my. That's my house. Mm-hmm. That's my home there, Earth. It it's the there's nothing. If I saw a picture of like Jupiter, I don't feel that way about Jupiter or Saturn. It's like, oh, they're okay. I have little there's like a I couldn't go there, but the, but it's the pictures of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I, I think you're right. That's Yikers. the whole difference of those two things. And it's um yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things that yeah, I think everybody should look at. And I think, you know, I, I often like think like, oh, you know, if only we could like have these conversations with like politicians and mm. show them, show them where their little district is on that picture. You know, like you know, just just put it. Don't have a pen small enough to show exactly. you. Exactly, let's put it all in perspective. Uh, but um, you know, the, the 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 one thing like you know, so space doesn't scare me too much. It's time. Time is what. Oh man, the more I think about the time, the more I'm getting like like the m- progression of time. How much or... the, the weight of how much time came before us and oh, all the things oh. that led up to this very moment right here. We're having this very pleasant conversation in this nice <laughs> air conditioned room. It's it does like feel good in here. you know, like <laughs> if, if it's like. Everything that happened, any one little thing that changed, right. you, know, you know, billions of years ago, we're at the end of 13.8 billion years of time. And any one little thing that changed, we wouldn't be this in wouldn't this air-conditioned room nicely. We'd be, I don't know what we'd be doing. That's, man, time is what Well, God, now that's me. one of my complexes, too. Can't you just keep <laughs> these things to yourself? We don't have to share everything. Just stick with the scorpion talk. Like, that's scary. Well, I get that. I, uh, but time, that's, scare, that's what scares you is time and yeah. the expanse of time and the, the fact that there's... You know the what's, what's the, there is a name for it. What is it called? The butter the butterfly yeah, effect. Yeah, if a yeah. butterfly flaps its wings somewhere, it creates yeah. this like. So you're thinking if something had happened at any point in the last thirteen billion years. Yeah. Oh God! Oh God! That is a major See? like. <laughs> can we can we take a break? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, so the plus I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> so I, I of course always try to you know delude myself whenever possible. So uh, I try to like put a positive spin on that. Is that Think of all the things that went forward in time and everything that happened before this led to this moment where we can have this pleasant conversation. And all the things that we could be doing instead, that'd be much, much worse. There are some worse things, I guess, that could be. We couldn't be here at all. There's only like two or three worse things. Is that what you're saying? You'd rather rather do almost literally anything than this. I got to be like, I mean, no, it's, it's true. I mean, I guess that's like, yeah. Yeah, uh, but no, it doesn't. I thought help. you were gonna say like time and the, like the typical time fear is like oh it goes so fast and the time you know, but you're talking about how like so does this mean that you think everything happens for a reason then? Ah, uh, see, there we go into this other thing, and I don't want mm, to think that. Yes, I am. I definitely don't want to think that because I'm just like oh don't give me that stuff when explaining. I'm just saying, but. But that's you could be sitting here with a weather person I instead know. of me, like you wanted originally. Well, yeah, and I'm I was upset ta- about it. <laughs> I was talking I'm over with it. with a a friend about like this biologist about you know like all the stuff that happened to Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, did are we really like at the end of this 
weird random things that happen to lead to life on earth and are we <laughs> one are we that. one in a trillion are we one in a billion are uh-huh. we one in in everything and uh i was thinking he was gonna say oh yeah we're like we're the only thing he's like no life is gonna exist there's life out there everywhere Trust me, you put like some proteins together, you're gonna get life. Like everywhere, like and, and the fact that we think we're unique, get over it, Dean. I was oh. like, oh, I felt better actually. Oh, oh my, that is so weird. <laughs> oh my gosh, who's comforted by that? Now, I don't know. Oh my gosh, I'm just gonna forward you all my therapy bills from yeah. here on out for the next. Yeah. That's a that is. So yours is space, mine is time, and there we go. Well, now it's both. Now it's both. <laughs> Now mine are both. Oh, they are? So thanks. Yes. This is weird. This is like, why are you, don't, I don't, mm. now I, mm, no. This uh, is why I watch cute videos of rescue beavers on Instagram and stuff like that, because I can't handle these deep thoughts. Today's guest has been working for NASA for years as researcher and an astronaut. In 2019, she was part of the first all-female spacewalk mission in space exploration history. We're really excited to welcome astronaut Jessica Meir. Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Great to be here. So I'll do the facts and figures first. 205 days in space, 3,280 orbits, traveling almost 87 million miles. I know this is the corny question, but for us Earthbound folks, what was it like flying and living in space? Well, it is actually really difficult to put into words because it was even far more incredible than I ever could have imagined. And this was something that I was thinking about since I was five years old. It exceeded all expectations. And I think the part that makes it so special is just that sustained weightlessness for the entire time and looking down at our planet, just realizing what is happening, where you are. Floating all the time just makes everything more fun. I can tell you all of the technical things that we do, of course, are extremely rewarding, but everything is just so much more fun when you're floating. (laughs) Well, speaking of rewarding, can you talk to us a little bit about being part of the first all-female spacewalk? I think that is so cool. What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that has been sort of like an evolution in my brain in terms of how I thought about that event and and how that significance has kind of evolved. And it was interesting when I first arrived on the space station, you know, we say you're kind of like a newborn because you're incredibly well-trained for all the technical aspects of the job, the spacewalks, flying the robotic arm, the experiments, all of that. No problem because of our incredible training program. But what you can't prepare for is just that microgravity floating all the time and Mm -hmm. having everything else float there with you. So you're kind of like a newborn figuring out how to go to the bathroom, how to eat, how to take a drink. And so I was kind of still in that phase in my first couple of weeks on the space station when I figured out that I had to do now the next thing, the most challenging thing that we do as astronauts and the riskiest thing, and that was to do my first spacewalk. So I had to focus 100% on just preparing for that spacewalk, for the activities that we had to perform to upgrade the power channel, and also to make sure that we did that safely for both me and my colleague and friend, Christina Cook. So I was really focusing on that at the time before the spacewalk. I wasn't thinking, and this is the first all-female spacewalk. You know, for me, it was just, here's what I have to do to do my job today. After the spacewalk, though, I had a lot more time to process that. And I think my thinking on it changed for two main reasons. 
first of all, I was just simply shocked by the outpouring of enthusiasm and support and all these people that had tuned in to watch that spacewalk. I mean, there aren't many people that really watch spacewalks these days. They're <laughs> kind of boring if you don't really know what's happening. Mm-hmm. But everyone tuned in that day, people all over the world from of all ages, from all places, for some reason that inspired and touched them. And so as Christina and I thought more about this, you know, I realized that this certainly, it wasn't a personal achievement for me. It was just me doing my job, but really it should be celebrated. And that is because of the generations of women that came before us. They were the ones that were pushing those envelopes, breaking those glass ceilings and getting us to the point where for Christina and me, it was just us going out the door to do our job that day. So really I look at it as a tribute to them. And now it is our role, Christina and mine, to, to help paying that pay that forward and to give back and to help inspire those that come next. Wow. It's just, it was incredible and uh, such a great moment. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is interesting to hear you say about floating. Everything is more fun when floating. And I, I, you know, it sounds like it would be fun for a bit. And but I do, I have gotten the tour of the ISS mock-up and the uh, the unfortunate toilet there, and I, that doesn't sound more fun in zero G. But um, what what's kind of like life, daily life, like on on the ISS, and what kind of uh, experiments were you were you part of too, floating and otherwise. Yeah. Well, daily life is incredibly interesting. And I think that's one of my favorite things about being an astronaut, whether it's down here on the ground or particularly in space, you know, we're doing different things all the time. So one day we are doing an experiment. The next day we might be doing a spacewalk. After that, a cargo vehicle might come and we need to capture with a robotic arm. Then we might just be fixing the toilet or changing a light bulb, doing kind of regular maintenance on all the space station systems or any repairs if things break. So you're really stimulated. You're always very active and you're doing all these different things. And like I said, when you're doing all these different things, you're still floating all the time. And sometimes, you know, of course, things can still get frustrating. Like maybe you're fixing something and it's not going as planned and and that can get quite frustrating. Sometimes you have to remind yourself, okay, take a step back. Think about this for a minute. (laughs) I'm in space. I'm floating. This isn't so bad. You know, this is great. But really, our days are made up of kind of a combination of all of those main activities. Also, doing things like this sometimes, doing outreach activities, talking to schools, doing interviews, that kind of thing as well, because it's so important for us as the very fortunate ones that are up there to share this mission and, and to pay it forward to all of those on the ground. That's so amazing. I also can't imagine trying to fix something and like your tools are like, where was that wrench I just was looking for or something? I feel like that's, I just, I don't know, that's those kinds of extra challenges I'm sure were, were interesting. Oh yeah, I don't know. <laughs> absolutely. And that's that's what I meant by feeling like a newborn when you're right. up there because it takes a while to realize you need to always make sure that you secure something if you put it down. You know, you just can't take a tool or your glass of water or something right. and set it down on the table. You have to Velcro everything. And if you let go of it for one second, it's going to be gone, lost somewhere <laughs> in the ventilation. And that happens all the time on the space station, oh especially when you're new. You know, you're like, wait, where did I just put that? Because you're thinking more in this like 3D volumetric space because you're using the ceiling, you're using all the walls. So you might be facing one surface, put your drink down, go somewhere else. And then, you know, you have to look at all these different walls to figure out where you put something. You know, it's it's really different for the brain to navigate. That's so crazy. Well, and so now I've heard these anecdotes from astronauts when they come back to Earth, they forget 
gravities there. And <laughs> did did you ever experience that where you just were like, you know, holding something out thinking it would float next to you and instead <laughs> dropped at your feet? Yeah, people do talk about that a lot. I think the big one for me was when I was back in the gym and I was working with my athletic trainer, you know, they help us with our rehabilitation and mm-hmm. getting used to gravity again. And I'd only been back, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple days and she was throwing balls at me and having me catch them. And so <laughs> I, I played third base, I played softball in high school, you know, I can catch. Um, but it's really interesting because I was used to how things travel in space you know, if you throw a ball here down on earth, we know it's ingrained in our brain and how we learn when we throw something, you're actually throwing it up a little bit, right? Because gravity is going to make it fall down. So you can't just throw it straight ahead to, to get to the same target at the same height. So that's how our brains, you know, have been for the entire lifetimes. They figured that out. You get to space and you have to learn how to throw things differently. So if you want to toss uh, a grape or something into your friend's mouth across the table, all you do is just give it momentum to go exactly forward. In the beginning, you can see how new astronauts will try to compensate for that and they'll entirely miss. So there <laughs> I was back on the ground after my mission and she throws a ball at me and I put my hand up and in my brain, I caught that ball, but I didn't. The ball fell onto the floor and there was still this disconnect between my brain and my hand, that, that kind of neuromuscular connection still hadn't really reoriented itself again. And it, there it was. I, and it was so confusing to me. I thought, I caught that ball. Like, how could that have happened? But it was because I hadn't compensated for gravity. And so then she threw it at me a couple more times and then it quickly came back. But I just found that so interesting, especially as a physiologist, because it just shows this remarkable plasticity of the human brain and how quickly it can adapt and then readapt. And I felt that, you know, conversely on the space station as well. Well, and speaking of your your career really as a physiologist studying, I believe it was deep deep diving physiology or how how it affects uh, the physiology in mammals. Is that an accurate summation, or you your other kind of career work you know focusing and studying physiology is so interesting? Um, I guess you know how did you get into or how did you decide to channel that and your marine biology background into you know deciding to go to space? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the first part of that is that I wanted to be an astronaut from the time I was five years old. So I always had this dream. You know, of course, I didn't think that it would necessarily come true because Mm -hmm. there's such a small chance of it happening. Um, But at the same time, biology was always my favorite subject. So that's what I was pursuing, even though, you know, some might think that's not the most direct path toward being an astronaut. (laughs) Maybe you should be a pilot or an engineer. You know, that's what I was passionate about. So that's what I pursued. And I still tried to stay active in any kind of NASA or space-related activity I could. So I had actually worked here at NASA before for three years as a scientist before I went back to grad school, but I was ready to kind of do my own science again. And I found this field of, like you mentioned, diving physiology and understanding how animals like emperor penguins, they can hold their breath for 30 minutes. An elephant seal, 120 minutes. And these are breath-hold, air-breathing animals just like us, but somehow they have that very, that incredible, that remarkable diving behavior. And I wanted to understand, you know, what allows that, what underlies that, how is that possible given their physiology? Why are they unique? So I was studying um, those kind of animals, emperor penguins, elephant seals. Then I did some high altitude physiology, kind of the same thing. You Mm -hmm. know, now an animal at high altitude is not holding its breath, but it's flying 
at a bar-headed goose, for example, that migrates over the Himalayas, it's flying at an altitude where there's only a half to a third amount of the oxygen. So trying to understand what is unique about these animals. And I think, you know, for me, I still had that dream of being an astronaut and I still wanted, I still, of course, applied when the, when the time came to, but I felt really fortunate that I had found this other career because I didn't think I would ever become an astronaut. You know, you know, it's such a small chance. So it's always a little bit, you know, bittersweet. You get that call. And of course I would never turn down my five-year-old dream job, but I did have to give up that previous career. I kind of look at it as coming full, full circle though, for me as a scientist, because before I used to work here at NASA coordinating experiments that were done on astronauts. Then I went back to school and became my own scientist and was doing experiments on animals. And now it's kind of full circle where I'm the animal in the extreme environment. <laughs> and that is, of course, on the space station where I was poked and prodded in the name of science. <laughs> That's great. Wow. And uh, so Anna and I uh, on this episode have been talking about how studying space can change your worldview. Uh, can I ask, like, how did your time in space maybe change your perspective on life when you returned? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that a lot of us think a lot about. I had thought a lot about it before I went to space. And I kind of had an idea of what it would probably mean to me. Because what I had always envisioned was what it would feel like to look back at the Earth, to realize mm -hmm. that you are not down there, you know, where everything that you know that has happened, everyone you know, every place you've been, every experience you've had is down there and you're separate from it. And of course, there's a lot that's been written about that. You know, there's the overview effect where you talk about how that changes you as a person. And I think for me, there were two main areas. First of all, I've always been a, a strong advocate for the environment and protecting our planet. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that that would be special to me, but it really did resonate even more loudly when I saw the earth for the first time. And you see that very thin, tenuous band of an atmosphere and you realize how special and beautiful it is and how fragile it is and how we need to protect it. And also this feeling of interconnectedness. You know, you look down, you see all of the continents and you see the oceans connected. You don't see those man-made boundaries that we've imposed upon ourselves. And you realize this is one planet. It's one home for all of us as humans. And you just feel that much more strongly. It's almost impossible to not see. And, you know, I really think that's a perspective that could benefit so many humans. Mm -hmm. I wish that I could bring all of those eyes up here. And I think... The Sorry, go ahead. The other thing is kind of this feeling of insignificance, right? You see the planet and the void and the blackness of space, and you understand, wow, this is just a small part of it all. This is just a speck in the solar system, in the universe. And you realize how insignificant we are as humans, as a planet. And that kind of ties into those prior ones about how we need to be all in this together, whether it's for climate change, whether it's for this global pandemic. That's nice. That's like an, an upbeat view. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like overwhelmed by the, by the vastness. And but much you, more eloquent than the way I just described it in our She uh, is a lot more eloquent oh, than yeah, you, R.D. So. Well, this is why we get great guests like this. And uh, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us for this. This has been a great look at uh, astronaut life. And, and you have so many other things going on, too, and so many other projects. It just, it's just it's so amazing. amazing to read about. So thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was great talking to you. We've been talking with astronaut Jessica Meir. For more information about her work, visit our website at wvxu.org slash looking up.
so we our minds are still blown from talking to Jessica. So incredible. Um, and, you know, her perspective and then what we kind of were talking about, um, this idea that you can look back at Earth from space, which is probably, like she was saying, kind of the surreal moment. So who who were, you know, the first people to see the entire Earth and get that kind of image of it just floating, chilling in the blackness and, and again, I keep saying the vastness of space. So yeah. who who is who were the ones responsible for that first the kind of iconic image? Yeah, if we go back to that yeah that picture of the Earth rise over over the uh, the lunar landscape, that was actually the first time humans had seen the entire planet at one time, or at least the side that they could see. Uh, you know, the astronauts today when they go up to the space station, they're going up two hundred. 250 miles up above the Earth, and they can see the curve of the Earth. They can see vast swaths of the planet. Yeah, like you see pictures, and it kind of like glows on the side. Yeah. That's pretty. But they can't the see thing. the whole thing. And right. so to get that perspective, we needed those Apollo missions that went out to the moon. And so uh, the, the that picture, that picture of the Earth rise was taken in 1968. Uh, it was the Apollo 8 mission, and the, the three astronauts were uh, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Anders. And so they were the first humans to see the entire Earth at once and totally, totally moved by this. I mean, yeah. like, we've got the, their their audio, their broadcast. I was going to say, is there audio on it? Oh, my crazy. gosh, yeah. So, I mean, they're, you know, these are, like, you know, test pilots, uh, military guys. I mean, but they are, like, moved to, like, poetry from this. They're, like, looking back at the whole Earth and just, like, seeing this for the first time. And then, and then when they bring this picture back and share it with us, I mean, we have the same reaction. Um, and so their their broadcast is is, is one of those memorable uh, audio clips. Uh, and, you know, these are the first people that see that whole perspective of of us floating in the blackness of space. And uh, and they were they were I mean immediately moved. But then when they came back, they kind of started this whole kind of thing of like you know this interconnectedness of of humanity. And mm-hmm. this also started kind of like the Earth Day movement and, oh. and environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it was a it was a momentous occasion, and so I know although we can't uh, be as lucky as uh, our guest Jessica and other mm-hmm. folks to go up into space, uh, you know that's these are those images that kind of yeah really really changes our our outlook on things, and uh, yeah, it's one of the thing, reasons why I love this the subject. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you know that thing about that picture—it holds up. Like it's how old, and we have all these fancy cameras and things. But it, like that picture, it's still—it's like, I mean, it still looks like a picture we would take today. I think that's kind of as like a beauty in that sort of like. Yeah, yeah, know. and it was done pretty much as an accident, or not necessarily accident, but it was like they were watching this happen, and they're like, "Get the camera, get the camera," and, yeah. and they like kind of like threw it together. Um, and you know, got some really cool exposures on it, and uh, became the picture. Yeah, so Amazing. so yeah, boy, I wish uh, I w- that was you know like the Apollo Eleven mission landing on the moon. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always gets the the, the press, but. For me, I would have loved to have been on Apollo 8. I, if I would have had the choice, I would have taken that one. Uh, that would really? have been such a cool thing to, to be able to see that. I could see that. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God.
looked upon the face of the water, and God said, Let there be light. We close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Well, that's it for this episode of Looking Up. Thanks again to astronaut Jessica Meir for joining us today. Make sure you also subscribe to this podcast, Looking Up, wherever you get your audio. And if you're an Apple podcast user, we'd really appreciate a rating and a comment or some kind of comforting words about how we're going to be fine, even though we're teeny tiny dots in the, again, vastness of space. That really helps others to find us. Do you have any topic or guest ideas for us, especially ones that are more positive than that? (laughs) We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook or Twitter or drop us a note at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terror Bird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. We're produced by Josh Elstro and Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.